Okay. It's been really wonderful this morning to, to be able to spend some time praying for, uh, for those in schools, for, for, for children in schools and for those who work in schools, involved in schools, but particularly for those who are starting school for, for the first time. And as one who's uh, with our daughter starting school uh, tomorrow, it's quite a big thing for us as, as a family and it's actually got me reflecting a little bit on what, what school was like for me when I went to primary school and I've uh, been, been thinking a little bit on that. I've been thinking about you know, some of my memories. I don't know some of you might be able to relate to these or not. We had uh, the Roger Red Hat books, Jennifer Yellow Hat. Did people have them in their schools just to, to help in, kind of, uh, in reading? We went through those series. That's a good memory. Yeah, <laughs> also before your time, that all right. And uh, also remember, I've got a memory of uh, one lunchtime. Uh, everyone was out on the fields and on, on the, the playground and a massive swarm of bees decided to fly over. Everyone hit the floor as quickly as they could and as these bees took up residence in our field. That's another one of my memories that I've got there. What else have I put down here? I can't read my own writing, that's terrible, isn't it? Uh, I've got, oh... This one, oh, this was a good one. Just before we were about to do a Chris Dingle service, I remember having a massive nosebleed all over my favourite book uh, when I was in the first class. So lots of good memories uh, mixed in here. Oh, I remember what that one was. I can't remember how I forgot this. I remember one particular football game I used to play in goal for the school. And in my mind, I pulled off the most amazing save that had ever, uh, ever happened. I can literally replay it in my mind. Although I'm sure it wasn't actually as spectacular as it, as it was, but I remember it being like the best thing. Uh, ever did that uh, and then I remember as well um, being, being put forward for, with, with two other pupils uh, and we had to sing in front of the class because we were going for the solo in one of, our, in, in one of the services we were holding in the church uh, I didn't get it sadly but I remember it, for some reason I seem to think it was the bare necessities for the Jungle Book but I, I think I might have mixed memories because I can't remember why, I can't think why that would be part of a church service but anyway uh, maybe there was something there uh, so this morning what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my moment to sing that, and I'm not really I could have done my moment to shine and sing in the bare necessities but I won't, I'll save you from that, uh, but one of the other things I do remember from school, I remember very clearly is what we used to have on our school uniform. Luke, you might be able to help me with this. And on our school uniforms, so on our jumpers and on our t-shirts, we had, it was kind of, I think it would be like the school motto, or at least the, the values of, of the school that were important to kind of the culture of the school. Do you remember what the words were, Luke? There we go. Live, love, look, listen and learn. And we had that on our uniform. It kind of was the motto, really. Uh, kind of held the, the, the values of what we were about as a school. And as you can see, Luke remembers it. How many years on are we? Many. Many years on uh, for Luke. <laughs> uh, but it, they're things that have kind of stuck with us because they were things that we were reminded of daily. Every time you put your uniform on, you'd see those things there. Uh, and actually, they were the values of the school. And the values that we hold, they, they shape our culture. And they shape our practice. They shape the way we do things. And they're kind of the foundations that we, we hold to, that are kind of the core of who we are in terms of who, who we're looking to, to be and what we're looking to produce. And we, we would find that, that among any organisation that you're thinking about, there would be core values that they would hold to. And it's the core values that, as I say, that they're the things that, that, that bring shape to, to the culture and, and to the purpose of what you're looking to, who you're looking to be and what you're looking to do. But I think if we, we kind of drill down as well, it's not just about organisations. Individually, we all have values. We all have things 
that we hold dear. We all have things that are important to us that, bring, that, that we hold to, that shape how we live. And it works out on all different sorts of levels. So actually, understanding what our values are is massively important. We will all have values. We will all have these things that we hold to that are important to us, whether we realise them or not. But it's good that we actually think about what our values are. The reason I'm saying this is because a number of months ago, many of you will remember that Mike and I went to a relational mission vision, values and strategy days. And as part of that, uh, the guys from relational mission were sharing the core values of the relational mission family. And they really were the, the same as what New Frontiers had, had kind of put out as their values, just slightly, slightly condensed, I think, and slightly condensed and, and broken down a little bit more. And as they were sharing these values, we felt actually for us as a church, we, we want to do a series, and this is the series we're coming into this morning, where we're going to be exploring the core values. And while these were, were core values that were, were put out for relational mission, actually they're not exclusively relational mission values in the sense that they're, they're, they're biblical values, they're New Testament values. And as such, they're transferable, so they can be carried to any culture or any context. And for New Frontiers, relational mission have always been a values-driven movement in the sense that what, what makes them what they are is it's the values that they hold to are, are the thing. And they can be transferred to different cultures and different contexts. And so hopefully if you were to look at any relational mission church, you would, it, it, the context and the churches might look different and the way they do things might look different. But actually if you were to drill down, you would find the same core values, the same things that we hold to. There should be a, a, a similarity across the churches. And so for Mike and I, as we were, were listening to these values being shared, we, these are values that we wholeheartedly hold to as the values for this church as well. And actually, this is the, a big reason why we are part of relational mission, because we, we've got that, kind of, that, that shared heart, that like-mindedness in terms of this is the kind of church we want to be, and it very much matches up with the kind of churches that relational mission are looking to build and to invest in and to be a part of. So as I said, your values shape what you are building. They're foundational to who we are they inform who we are, what we do, and how we live. And so if we're looking at these values over these coming weeks as New Testament values, then New Testament values will, will shape a healthy biblical pattern of life. They will. They're the things that, that we hold to and we give ourselves to that bring shape to a healthy biblical pattern of life. And we don't want to assume that everyone knows what our core values are as a church. We might have different ideas, actually, in this room as to what, if we were to say what would the core values of Faversham Community Church be, there might be a bit, of a, a bit of some different ideas in there. So we don't just want to assume that everyone knows what they are, which is why we're spending these time, I think it's nine weeks that we're going to be working through these values. Uh, we, we, want to, we, we want to make sure that everyone knows what our core values are. And this is something that we need to come back to often. We need to keep reminding ourselves of what these values are that we hold to. And these are values that we want to hold fast to together. What I mean by that is when, when we gather together as a church, when we gather to worship, our worship is not solely about individual experience. Not only that, when we preach and when we teach, our sermons are not solely about personal growth. Actually, it's about how these things fit together and work themselves out within community. We worship in community. 
we grow together in community. It has impact not just for ourselves as individuals, but on the body of Christ, on the church body. Because the life that Jesus has called us to is to be lived out in community. So the values that we're looking at and the values that we're going to be working our way through, we are living with these as, a, as, as the body of Christ together. These are shared values. Things for us to, to hold on to and to live out together in community. And I think it's also helpful right at the start of this series to say and to, to kind of observe that actually many of these things, probably at some point, all of these values, we will also need to contend for these. In the sense that uh, there, there will be times when they don't align or match up with wider culture. In fact, many of these will clash against the wider culture and wider society. And we will need to be those that say, actually, we're going to contend for these values because they are central to who we are and to the kind of people that God has called us to be. They're going to be values that we have to be prepared to fight for. And I think at some point, all of these values, we will need to be prepared to contend for these. I'm not saying that not as a fearful thing, but it's just helpful for us to be aware of that, because many of these things are actually very countercultural when we're thinking of the, the wider culture and the wider society that we live in. But that's why we need to understand actually what is it that the Bible, the Bible says we should be like as a church. We want to hold on to those things. So if we can have the, the values up on the screen, um, I'm going to, can everyone see? So we've got. These are the values that we're going to work through. Okay, I'm just very quickly going to just run through them before we go on to the first one. So everything that we do is underpinned by our values which shape a healthy biblical pattern of life. We've got some that are doctrinal in terms of this is what we believe. Uh, so we're going to be thinking about what it is to be a church who is word-based, grace-filled, spirit-empowered. There'll be values that are related to the way in which we view and, and do leadership. Uh, so elders in each local church our understanding of the Ephesians 4 ministries. Foundational being that our leadership is servant-hearted. And then there's going to be three around mission, the way that we do mission. So local church focus, expressed locally, globally and holistically, contextual freedom in application. There's lots of words in there. We're going to be unpacking those over the next few weeks. But they are the, the core values that we would say, actually, for Mike and I, we're saying, actually, this is the kind of church that we want to be. These are the values that we would hold to. And can we have the next one up? So this morning we're going to be thinking about the first value is that we are a church who are, or a community who are word-based. Who are word-based. We believe in the absolute truthfulness, sufficiency and final authority of scripture. And this value is expressed through the Bible having the central place in governing doctrine, practice, ethos, and patterns of church life. Okay, given that we're talking about being word-based, we're going to root this in the Word. So if you've got your Bibles, if you can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, as ever, it will come up on the screen in a moment, uh, if you don't have your Bible with you today. So we're going to root it in the Word. So we're going to unpack this a little bit and think about actually what does it mean? For us to be word-based. Why is this such an important and foundational value that we need to hold to? There's a lot that we could say about the word. There's so much that we could say uh, about the word and what it is to be word-based. What I would what I would like to recommend, though, 
is this the, the Andrew Wilson book that he wrote called Unbreakable, which I think, I can't remember how long ago it was, we'd bought a load of copies of these and we'd actually given them out uh, to, every, to every household. Hopefully you still have your copy. We might have some more knocking around. Uh, so I'll definitely keep an eye out for those and put them out if, if we do have some more. But I just, this is, it's a small book, but it's a very profound book. Um, the approach that Andrew Wilson takes in this book is actually, uh, we should handle scripture the way that Jesus handled scripture. And so we should look at the way that he viewed scripture and handled it in terms of that's the way that we should approach it as well. And for me personally, it's been very helpful for me to have that mindset, particularly when wrestling with questions about, about scripture and why it should be trusted and how we should handle it. Actually, to recognize how Jesus did is a very, very helpful way. And in there, Andrew Wilson says, he says, I don't trust in Jesus because I trust in the Bible. Rather, I trust in the Bible because I trust in Jesus. And it's just a really helpful way I think, to, to approach the scriptures and to approach the word. So I would really recommend that. If you haven't read it, read it. If you've read it before, read it again. Uh, it's just a really, really profound and helpful book. Okay, so let's read from chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. We're actually going to read through to, uh, through to the early verses of chapter 4. So this is what Paul was writing to Timothy. He says, understand this. That in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as uh, Jans and Jambas opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, 
Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist and fulfil your ministry. Now my focus for today is really from verse 15 onwards. But I've read from the beginning of the chapter because actually we need to set this in context. Because when Paul speaks about the word and he gives Timothy this charge and he gives Timothy this encouragement about how he's to handle the word and how he's to view the word, these words aren't spoken in a a vacuum. And we have to be careful that actually when, when we get into the Bible that we're not looking at, we need to set things in right context. Because these things aren't spoken into a vacuum where actually there's, there's different things that are going on around it that actually help us to understand more of what was being said and why it was being said. So the reason I included those early verses and why we've read from there is because we need to understand that when what Paul speaks about the word is against a backdrop of false teachers. It's against this time that Paul is speaking about where people are actually going to be straying from the truth. And that's the context that he's writing to Timothy in. And if you look, a lot of the letter of 1 Timothy, and actually a lot of 2 Timothy, is this need to be aware of and this warning against the, the false teachers and this strain from the truth. And Timothy's need to really hold fast to the truth and to hold fast to the word. And to be aware of what kind of a leader he is and the example that he is setting. You see, Timothy, who is one who has oversight for the churches, who has care for the churches, Paul says to Timothy, he says, you're to stand in in absolute contrast to these teachers, to these people that Paul warns will be a very real feature of the times. And he says to Timothy, he says, actually, Timothy is to follow Paul's example. He's to follow his example in conduct. He's to follow his example in character. And he he says this uh, to Timothy, actually, this is the way that you can stand against it. Be like me. Look to my example. Be like me. And then Paul's focus turns to the scriptures. And I would say, having read this, read this it seems to me that actually the, the word and the scriptures, that they're, they're really a non-negotiable for Timothy in his charge of what he, who he's calling Timothy to be and the kind of leader he's calling Timothy to be. The way that the scriptures are handled. And the verses that we're going to root ourselves in today, the, sorry, these are the verses we're going to root ourselves in today as we consider what it is to be a people and a community who are word-based at our core and why this needs to be something that is absolutely foundational for us. So if we can have the, yeah, the, the value, what it is to be word-based, we're saying that we believe in the absolute truthfulness, sufficiency and final authority of Scripture. This value is expressed through the Bible having the central place in governing doctrine, practice, ethos and patterns of church life. So there's just a few words there, maybe we just want to unpack quickly so we're all on the, on the same page and understanding what it is that we mean uh, in this value. When we're talking about doctrine, so we're saying that the, the, the word has uh, that central place in governing doctrine. Doctrine is, is what we believe. Really, that's a really helpful way of thinking of it. These are the things that we believe, the things that we would teach. And then when we're thinking about practice, practice is the things, what we do. So actually, how does, how does what we believe, how does our doctrine affect our practice and what we do? And we want to come to the word to, to be the central place to helping us in governing that and, and understanding how it is, what it is we believe and how we live that out. And then we're thinking about ethos. Ethos is really, it's about culture and, and attitudes. What kind of a culture are you looking to be? What kind of attitudes are you going to have as a family and as a community? And we're saying, actually, 
how are we going to decide what our doctrine is, what our practice is, what our ethos is, what the patterns for church life are? Actually, we're going to come to the Bible first and foremost as, as ha- having the essential place in helping us to govern and decide and to define how we do those things. We're not looking to come up with clever ideas by ourselves or to come up with something new or to come up with something that no one's ever thought of before. Actually, we want to say we're going to hold fast to what the scriptures say in all of those areas of our life together. So we're saying for us, we're saying that the Bible has the central place in governing these different areas of church life. And for Paul, the word too was absolutely central. That was his charge to Timothy. Keep the word central. Keep that as the central place in your leadership and in how you govern and lead the churches. And for Paul, one of the reasons why the word is central is because it carries authority. And the scriptures have authority because of where they find their origin. That's why why Paul writes to Timothy in verse 16, I think it is, he says that all scripture is, it's breathed out by God. I think that's such a helpful picture, that picture of something being breathed out in the sense that scripture is not just about him, but it's breathed out, it's brought into existence by him. He's the one who, who brings the word into existence another way of understanding it or perhaps another translation that you might find uh, would be that all scripture is is inspired by God it's God inspired it can be a hard thing for us to to get our heads around actually what does that mean for it to be breathed out by God or inspired by God particularly when we think wasn't the 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 Bible and the scriptures as we understand them were written by, by people God didn't physically write them but people wrote them. And again, in, in the book Unbreakable, Andrew Wilson uses this really helpful picture of, of a jazz musician. And if you were to look at a jazz musician who could perhaps play lots of instruments, if we were to say, where does the music come from? You wouldn't say that it's the instrument that produces music, rather it's the musician or the artist who puts breath and, and adds the tune to the instrument. But, but the, it, the instrument is used to make the sound that the artist wants to, to produce. And he says in the same way, if we're thinking about scripture, it's like those that God chose to, to be the, the instruments of scripture, those that recorded what he said, they're, they're like the instruments, but actually they're having, having the breath and, the, and the, the tune played by the Holy Spirit, speaking to them and working through them. Uh, and yes, you have different, different authors and different writers, uh, just as you would have different instruments that produce different sounds, but the artist or the musician is the same. It's his breath and he's the one who plays the tune and in, uh, for me I've just found actually that's a really helpful way of understanding what when we're thinking about the word being inspired by God it's like, actually yes he did use people as instruments but actually he's the one that gives breath and it's his tune that's being played through it does that make sense in terms of what it is to be inspired and so scripture is, is breathed out by God it, it's God's Word. It, it comes into existence by him. It carries his authority with it. If we look at the way that when Jesus was in the wilderness and he was being tempted by Satan, what was his, what was his response? What was his, how, how did he stand against that? He held on to the word of God and he said, actually, it is written. He said, this is actually what God says. And so for Jesus, he held the scriptures as having all authority. That is the place where he went to. When he was being tempted, he said, I'm going to go to the scriptures and I'm going to show you, actually, this is what God says about me. This is what God says about who I am to be. This is what God says. They hold authority. 
And because, it's in, and because the scriptures are inspired by God, therefore they, they are profitable in the sense that what it means to be profitable is that they're beneficial. They produce something. There's something that, that is produced through them. Uh, but the reason why they're profitable is because of where they find their origin. All scripture has been breathed out by God. And because it's been breathed out by God, because it carries the authority of God, therefore it's beneficial to us. If it wasn't breathed out by God, if it didn't carry the authority of God, then, then it wouldn't be of, of benefit to us. It wouldn't produce something within us. But because it is, therefore it is profitable to us. All scripture is profitable to us. It, it's profitable for teaching and reproof. Another name for reproof might be for, for re- rebuke. If someone needs rebuking. It is profitable for correction and training in righteousness. And these really link in with what we're saying, the value of the churches in being word-based. Because we're thinking about what it is to, to, for, for the, the, the word to have that um, central place in governing doctrine and also in practice. You see, when Paul's talking about uh, the, the, the scriptures being profitable for teaching and reproof, that he's talking about doctrine. The things that we're taught and where we need rebuke. Okay? So he's talking about actually that it's there in terms of our doctrine and what we believe. But then he also says that they're profitable for correction and training in righteousness. That's about practice. That's about how we work out what we believe, what it is to be trained. So actually we can apply what we know in our heads and we and, and know in our hearts, but actually how do we live that out? What does that look like in practice? So actually what Paul's talking about in these verses to Timothy, he's saying actually the word of God is profitable for doctrine and for practice, which is why we're able to say at, biblically, we're rooted, our value is rooted in, in, in the word and in what Paul's charge to Timothy is. You see, by God's grace and through the Holy Spirit's leading, through his revelation, through his cultivation, as we allow ourselves to be shaped by the word, we're brought into maturity. That's what Paul says in verse 16. Um, he says that all scripture is breathed out by God profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It brings us into maturity. That's what the word does. So that the man of God may be complete, or again, another way that that could be translated is thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's this sense of absolute sufficiency. The scriptures have an absolute sufficiency in that they... they, uh, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped, totally equipped, not needing anything else, absolutely complete for the work that God has in store for us. The scriptures are sufficient. So they carry God's authority and they carry sufficiency. The sufficiency that we would be equipped with all that we need for everything God has for us. And Paul also alludes to the sufficiency of the word in verse 15. We just jump back to to verse 15 of there. He's saying to Timothy that you from childhood have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He's saying actually the word has made you wise for salvation to receive Christ through, uh, through faith to receive salvation through Christ in the sense that the Bible really is a handbook for salvation. We could look at it that way. The whole Bible unfolds God's plan of salvation from Genesis right through. We see God's plan of salvation through Jesus. 
And so the, the, the scriptures, the word focuses its attention on Jesus because it's through Jesus, through him, that salvation is found and through him salvation is received. How do we know this? Because the scriptures reveal it to us. They are sufficient in bringing understanding to us uh, in terms of being able to receive faith through Christ. When we were at the the RM Vision and Values Day. Really helpfully, Morris Nightingale was unpacking this uh, a little bit, um, and some of the things that he said that I just felt would be really helpful and appropriate to share with you today in terms of what does this mean for us today to be a people who are word-based. He said that we need to be disciples and to raise disciples who love the Word of God. We need to be raising disciples who love the Word of God. And he said, actually, in the social media age that we live in, this is going to be a real challenge for the generation that are coming through. He said, it is going to be a challenge to get a, a whole generation to pick up a physical book of paper and to read it and to study it is going to be a challenge because that's, we live in a social media and digital age where it's just presenting new and different challenges. Again, not to be fearful, but to be aware of. It's going to be, be a challenge there. He also went on to say that we, we need to be a people that default to the Word of God. That is our default, to go to the Word of God. That the Word of God isn't an afterthought. It's not something where we try and work things through. Are oh, we better just, just check in on what the Bible says. Actually, we should default to the Word. He also said that this takes time, devotion, extensive and intensive study of Scripture to be those that love the Word. It doesn't just happen. It takes time. And it takes devotion. Which really, when we've just done our summer series, where we spend those first four weeks reading the scriptures publicly together, it comes from, a lot of what inspired that, or came out of, was in Paul's letter, first letter to Timothy in chapter 4. He says that you are to devote yourselves to the public reading of scripture. It has to hold a, a place of devotion in our lives. As disciples and as a church. And then he also said that we need to make, uh, make sure that scripture is normative for us, that, it, that it's the norm, in the sense that it's the norm in how we preach, how we feed people, that we're giving people a diet. Of food. Scripture has to be normative for us, which is why, with, which is really why we are doing this series. We could have just said to you, these are the values that we're living with. We could have done that just by sending out an email or a text and say, these are the values that we're living with. But actually, we realize that we need to root these in what the scriptures say and in what the word says, which is why this series is even existing, because we need to teach into these values because they need to be rooted into the word. We need to default to the word to see who, who it is, uh, the, the kind of people that we are meant to be. The other thing... Another thing, sorry, that I think we need to be aware of is this, is that we need friends who will tell us when we've moved away from the truth, which is why the whole thing of community and being the body together is so important, because actually it can be quite easy to stray from the truth, and we need to be among those who will be able to point that out and to draw us back to the truth. But where do we find the truth? We find it in the Word. So we need to be a people who, are, who love the Word of God. Some of you may be aware of this, but there's been quite a lot happening, particularly in the States recently, where quite high-profile high leaders, 
maybe those that we might call influencers. There's been some worship leaders and authors who in, in recent months have actually publicly come out and said, I'm, I'm stepping out from that faith. I don't believe it anymore. It, happened, it seems to happen quite a lot. There's just seen quite a lot of these. Um, but there was a really excellent response to this. There's an article written by a guy called John Cooper. He's the lead singer of a, of a band called Skillet, uh, a Christian band. And he wrote this really excellent, um, this excellent piece. And in there he says this. He says that it is time for the church to rediscover the preeminence of the word and to value the teaching of the word. We need to value truth over feeling, truth over emotion. And what we are seeing now is the result of the church raising up influencers who did not supremely value truth, who have led a generation who also do not believe in the supremacy of truth. It's quite a shocking thing to consider, but I think he's got a really good point here. We need to be those who value truth and hold on to the supremacy of truth. We can't take it for granted that people want the truth. We can't take it for granted that people want the truth. Because many people don't believe in the supremacy of truth, or they don't believe in in absolutes or absolute truth at all. And I think that would actually be a fairly common way that that things are viewed in, in wider society. Maurice Nightingale, again, at the the RM days, was saying that in today's culture, moral absolutes have been thrown away. We don't have moral absolutes. Instead, we're living with moral consensus. What's the current thinking of the time? What's the popular thinking of the time? And we're going to go with that. But the thing with moral consensus is that it changes over time. There's no consistency there. It's constantly changing. You see, if your idea of what is good is based on experience or on culture trends or on popular opinions, it will always be changing from year to year. So we need to be prepared. We need to be a people who hold to the absolute truthfulness of Scripture. But we also need to be prepared that when we do that, we are going to be increasingly unpopular in our culture. We will be. People don't, want, people don't believe in absolutes. They go with whatever is, is, is kind of trending at the time, whatever is popular within culture. And so for those of us that will stand and say we hold to the absolute truthfulness of Scripture, in many ways we will become unpopular with the wider culture. And Paul speaks of those who have gone from bad to worse. In those earlier verses, he speaks of those who have gone from bad to worse. They move on from one thing to the next. They're always looking for what the next thing is what the next popular trend is, what the next uh, new way of thinking is. But his charge to Timothy is very different to that. He says, Timothy, you are to continue. You are to stay the course. You are to remain steady. You are to hold fast to the truthfulness of the scriptures. And there are real similarities between society today and the culture into which Paul was writing. Paul writes this about the culture of the time. He says that there is a time that is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I do. I think that is, there's a similarity in terms of the way that society is now and culture is now. In as much as people want someone who will validate their passions who will validate their desires, who will validate the way that they want to live. They want someone that will be able to say, actually, that's okay. To be able to to give them that assurance. Where there's never any challenge. You're always just told, actually, what your desires are, what your passions are, you be you, that's okay to do that. 
just as Paul was warning, would come along for Timothy to be aware of. You see, the scriptures have a lot to say about justice and humility and power and judgment and money and sex and holiness and sin and love and a whole lot more. The scriptures have something to say. And it costs us to submit to what the Bible says. It is costly for us to align ourselves with, with scripture and to align our desires and to align the way we live with the scriptures and what the scriptures say. It means laying down our passions and our desires, our wants and our preferences, even our experiences and saying, above all else, I want to hold on to the truth. Which means that we are actually always having to count the cost of what that means. Of what it is that maybe we'll have to lay down, put to one side, do away with. Some things that we might need to realign and adjust in our lives. We see that, don't we? When Jesus, when the rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and says, how can I inherit the kingdom? And Jesus says, you need to go and sell everything that you have. Because Jesus knew what had kind of number one place in that man's heart and in his life. And we read that this guy couldn't do it. He goes away full of grief. Because he knows that he can't lay that down. But that was the cost that Jesus presented before him. I'm, I'm, just, I'm going to be coming into land in, in a moment. It's just a couple of things I wanted to, to say. So I appreciate there's a lot here. But it is, this is a big thing about what it is to be people who are committed to the word. I, a number of years ago, there was, um, I wanted a Miami Dolphins American football jersey. of a partic- There was one particular player that I wanted. But none of, the, none of the websites did that particular player. And then I found one company uh, that were able to do it uh, for the player that I wanted. So I, I paid for it. Uh, I put the order in. And then over the next few days, I was like, actually, I feel like I've gone through a company that aren't, aren't genuine. I think this is something that's a little bit dodgy going on here. I remember being at a prayer and equipping while... Um, I think I got the message through to say the package had arrived and I was thinking the only way I'm going to know is when I get home and open it up and I'm going to see actually what it is. And I opened the, the, the parcel up and I looked at the jersey and you just knew it was a knockoff. You could tell by the quality of the stitching, things weren't in alignment, the logo wasn't right. Um, and so I got in touch with them and I just said, actually, th- this, isn't, this isn't right, this isn't what I, what I wanted, can I have my money back? And they were so reluctant to give me my money back. But what they kept doing was just dropping down the, actually, we'll we'll knock this off, we'll knock this off, we'll knock this off. And it got cheaper and cheaper, hoping that I would settle to stick with this counterfeit that they'd given me. The reason I say this is because things that are counterfeit cost less. They demand less of us. But in, in requiring less of us, they offer us less in return. They do not offer us something that is authentic. They do not offer us something that is true. And in the same way, we need to be aware that when people present something actually where, where, the, where it can be attractive, when, particularly when thinking in terms of if someone is saying in terms of ways to live your life or, or worldviews or uh, what it is to be, to be a believer and a follower of Jesus... Actually, when things stray from the truth, they require less and less of us in terms of the cost. That's what things that are counterfeit do. But again, they offer us less in, in return. And we need to recognise this in terms of wider culture and wider society and what they're looking for. But we also need to recognise this in ourselves. 
John Cooper, the guy I mentioned who wrote that article, he, he also said this. He said that I'm amazed that so many Christians want the benefits of the kingdom of God, but with the caveat that they themselves will be the king. In that sense of, actually, I want all the benefits that come with being the kingdom, but I'm not prepared to pay the cost of, of, of what it is. And when you do that, actually, you then start settling for something that is less than, less than the truth, because it requires less of you. So it's a challenge. We need to recognise this in ourselves. Daily, whether we submit to the scriptures or not, is a decision that we have to make daily. And the place that scriptures hold in our lives is a daily decision. See, what we need is sound, biblical teaching. With my jersey, I refused their offer and I got a full refund. And what I did instead was I paid the full cost in order to go and get the proper, the proper thing. And the two, when you hold them up to each other, they don't stand in comparison to one another. You see, the answer or the solution to the counterfeit is to stand it against the authentic. Which is why Paul says to Timothy, in, in light of the, the, this challenge that's going to come where you've got these false teachers that are going to satisfy the itchiness of the people, Paul says this, to stand against that, he says, preach the word. Preach the word, preach the gospel, preach about Jesus. Open up the scriptures and show people how all of the scriptures point to Jesus, how salvation is found in Jesus. You want to stand up against the false teaching of the time, you want to stand up against the false ideas that are being put out there, preach the word, preach the truth, preach about Jesus, preach that he is the only way to salvation, preach that salvation can only be found in him. Preach that the life that we live is to flow out of the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. Because when you hold that, the authentic against the, against the counterfeit, it shows the counterfeit up for what it is. The cost might be more, but what it offers is so much more. And Paul says, be ready in season and out of season. What that means is, be ready to preach the word when it's convenient to you and when it's inconvenient to you. You've got to be ready so be rooted in the word so that you are always ready. The only way you're going to be ready is if you're rooted in the word. So then you're ready at all times, of all seasons. Let the word stand against the teaching of the day. I read, again in the run-up to this, quite a short thing, but I found it very profound. Got me thinking a lot. Someone had said that truth and time go hand in hand. Things that are true will stand the test of time. Whereas things that are not true or stray from the truth will be shown up over time. The scriptures will endure and stand over time. So as a church, we must maintain the primacy and the centrality of the preaching of scripture. That has to be central to who we are and to everything that we do. We need to seek to relate the unchanging word to the changing world. There's going to be a temptation and I'm sure there are temptations already to say what people want to hear because we want people to feel that the scriptures are we want people to see the relevance to their lives but there can be a challenge that comes where we, we dilute things down and compromise and we say things that people want to hear because we want people to, it can come from a good place but actually if we're asking them if the cost is less then maybe what we're presenting to them is not the real deal at all we cannot dilute the word. We have to stand on it. That's what it is. To have at our core, to be a people who are word-based, means we will not dilute what the word of God says. We will stand on it. We will be devoted to it. We will love the word of God. Because there is a desperate need for sound teaching. There is a desperate need 
for sound teaching. There is a desperate need for the truth. There is a desperate need for the authentic to stand against the counterfeit. This is why this is the, probably this is why this is the first value that we are looking at of the Bible holding that central place in governing the way that we are and the people that we are. I will finish with this. One more thing from John Cooper from that article. He says, please, this is for, for all of us. He says, I implore you, please, please, in your search for relevancy for the gospel, let us not find creative ways to shape God's word into the image of our culture by stifling inconvenient truths. But rather, let us hold on even tighter to the anchor of the living word of God, for he changes not. And then he goes on to quote Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers and the flowers fade away, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that, it is, that, that you breathed it into existence. Yes, you used people to record it, but Lord, we recognize the, the, the inspiration of Scripture. We recognize the truthfulness of Scripture. We recognize the full authority of Scripture. We recognize the total sufficiency of Scripture. And we say, God, we are so thankful that you have given us your word. Lord, we are thank, so thankful that all Scripture has been breathed out by you and is profitable for us in our doctrine and in our practice. We thank you that all scripture is sufficient for us uh, in that it will bring us through into maturity and equip us and have us prepared for every good work that you have prepared in advance for us to do. Lord, we thank you that nothing else needs to be added to that. And we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who just brings revelation and illumination of your word to us and cultivates growth within us in line with what your word says. So we are so thankful for that. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that your, your word, Lord, that the scriptures are just that handbook of salvation, that speak of salvation through Jesus from beginning to end. Lord, we thank you that your word is sufficient to make us wise for salvation through Jesus. And so we say as a people, we hold fast to your word. We want to be a people who are devoted to your word, a people who are committed to your word, but we recognise our weakness in that, uh, in that we, we, we often it, 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 we, re we realise that it takes work and time to really study and to grow, but Lord, we say, Holy Spirit, would you help us in that? Would you help us individually to be those who are hungry for your word, because only your word will, satis will satisfy, Lord, for us as a church, help us to be a people who are hungry for your word. Uh, and where we just default to your word, where every time we gather together in whatever context, whatever settings, no matter how many of us are here, that we would hold your word central to the life that we live together. And God, we pray that in the coming weeks, Lord, in the coming months, that many, many people will come to faith through that revelation of faith in you, Lord, as we faithfully teach what the word says about who you are and about what you have done. So we thank you, Lord for your precious gift to us. And we pray, help us to be a people that handle scripture well, that hold it in absolutely the right regard, and that we are those who, yes, we've got this as a value for us as a church, but let us live it out, Lord, that it's not just words on our website, but it's something that lives within each one of our hearts 
and in the heart of our church and at the very core of who we are, that we would live it out and be a people who are absolutely based in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.